people have been telling and retelling the story of Exodus for millennia. In Jewish households and communities, of course, the tale has been the centerpiece of the annual Passover celebration and provided most of the script for the ritual meal known as the Seder. Each spring gathered around our tables, we again hear about the Israelites being held captive as slaves to the Egyptians. We listen to Moses command Pharaoh to let them go. We learn of how God intervenes in history and helps the Israelites win their freedom and pass on to the other side of the Red Sea, eluding their cruel captors and beginning their very lengthy journey to the promised land. Exodus is an ancient miracle story with timeless appeal, and only recently have we changed the way it has been told. In 2020, a prominent group of Orthodox rabbis in Israel announced the Jewish law would allow people to hold their seders online instead of in person. Last year, Passover began in April, not March, and the expectation at that time was that coronavirus cases in America would be peaking in the month of April. Shelter-in-place orders were rather new and appeared relatively time-limited. Most of us hoped for a speedy return to normalcy, a quick liberation back to the lives that we had always led. With hindsight from 2021, we see how limited our predictive powers were. We see how limited several of our other presumed powers were as well. Last night, my husband Ben and I had another online Seder with the same family friends we had celebrated with in Zoom last year. We referred to the same PDF of the same Haggadah we had used as a shared script the year prior. It is such a joy to see our friends whenever we can, even through computer screens, but there was still a sense of deja vu all over again. It could not be denied. Despite being able to dine on a nice brisket, we are tempted to gripe a bit, nevertheless. Still with the social distancing routines, why are we not there yet? There meaning where you, the people we love, are. In his thought-provoking book, Overcoming Life's Disappointments, Learning from Moses, How to Cope with Frustration, Rabbi Harold S. Kushner notes that for all its epic scope and dramatic sweep, the Passover event is essentially an extended prelude, a prelude to hardship and heartache for the Israelites and for Moses himself to an extent we might not ordinarily appreciate. Rabbi Kushner is the Rabbi Laureate of Temple Israel in Natick Mass, the conservative synagogue he served for decades after his stint as a chaplain in the U.S. Army. He is best known for his groundbreaking 1981 book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, a volume he dedicated to the memory of his 14-year-old son who had died. How do people cope? with the realization that important dimensions of their lives will not turn out as they hoped they would, Rabbi Kushner asks in Overcoming Life's Disappointments. When we think of Moses, we think of his triumphs ascending to Mount Sinai to receive the tablets of the law. But Moses was a man who knew frustration and failure in his public and personal life, at least as often and as deeply as he knew fulfillment 
Rabbi Kushner observes. And we, whose lives are also a mix of fulfillment and disappointment, can learn from his experiences. If he could overcome such monumental disappointments, we can learn to overcome ours. The reality, though, is that most people have been on a pretty sharp learning curve this past year, and they might prefer to have that curve flatten out soon. They have learned to live without familiar comforts and with an amount of unease that they might not have ever experienced before. This has been a disappointing time for so many in our midst. As we come around to the second pandemic birthday or anniversary or holiday or deadline, we feel that acutely. So why not let those deepest disappointments instruct us on the things that matter most to us in our lives and in our world? When Moses is at his most exasperated, when the Israelites have exhausted all his forbearance and they continue to wander year after year in the wilderness, he asks if they can no longer recall their days in slavery, if they cannot remember the hardest lessons that captivity taught them. Often they cannot. Some are even afflicted by nostalgia for their prior life in Egypt. Even after the Lord had delivered the Israelites from Egypt, they had to travel through the desert. Many of them preferred their days of bondage and the flesh pots of Egypt, Archbishop Desmond Tutu noted. We must remember that liberation is costly. It costs us individually and collectively. It costs us mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. As we move further along through this pandemic, we have a sense of what liberation is going to require of Americans nationwide, that people continue to get tested for coronavirus and get vaccinated as soon as they possibly can, that people wear their masks in public and practice social distancing, that people remain as patient as they can with the realities of their circumstances, particularly when pandemic fatigue reaches its worst. And real change starts to feel imminent. We dare not forget the heavy burdens that quarantining and sequestering place on those who are most vulnerable in our society. Earlier this month, a colleague sent me a Time Magazine article on what has been termed the third quarter phenomenon, commonly observed by social scientists in a strange array of settings, including Navy submarines, research bases, and space stations. After spending a substantial period of time in seclusion, people come to both dread their release from it and to simultaneously try to hasten it. Well past the halfway point and nearer to the end, they can experience sudden mood swings. Given the psychological hurdles it routinely presents, the final stretch can feel like the longest leg by far. Willpower wanes and frustration mounts. Imagine then what it might have been like to be one of those Israelites in Moses' band in the desert 40 days out. Three years later, a couple of decades on. Biblical scholars have noted that the Red Sea is not so many miles from the promised land, according to the map. 
yet the metaphorical and metaphysical distance is just enormous. Getting out of Egypt was solely a starting point and one that in and of itself required heroics on everyone's part, heroics on such short notice. There was no time for their bread to rise. They would have to live on what was unleavened, literally what was not lightened. And Moses, pity poor Moses, he would have to live with the enormity of their collective disappointment and answer to his God at the same time. As Rabbi Kushner reminds us in his book-length meditation on disappointment, life is designed to be lived in alternation of hours of sunlight and hours of darkness. Although most of us accept that fundamental premise, we are reluctant to acknowledge our own difficulty telling time. We think we know a breaking dawn when we see it. At least I do. Maybe you do too. Rabbi Kushner writes that leading the Israelites all those years in the wilderness instructed Moses and the difficult spiritual discipline of humility. Humility means recognizing that you are not God and it is not your responsibility to run the world, he explains. Some people are disappointed to learn that. Most are immensely relieved. Moses was able to surmount the problems and frustrations in his life because he understood that he was not God and could not be expected to be. Certainly, God's chosen people could not ask that of Moses. Jewish historians hypothesize that the earliest Passover observances were actually a combination of two distinct religious festivals, one of celebration and another of sacrifice. I suspect that celebration and sacrifice are combined in so many rites in our communal lives. This moment in history might provide us with a unique opportunity to publicly admit that. In her recent piece for the New York Times, Opening Up Slowly, columnist Melissa Kirch wrote, We're peering out from the behind the curtain at a world that is stirring. How much of this at-home life will we preserve? How much will we leave behind? She reported on the mail she had been getting lately from her readers, those who have written, some sheeplessly, other proudly, confessing to a preference for being at home and a dread of returning to pre-quarantine activity and industry. As she noted, even those of us who are craving more human contact, more travel, and general coming and going may have found things to love in the slowness and interiority of the past year. Those things we love. We understandably worry that they might rather rapidly get lost as our situations shift yet again. This year has been full of so much heartache and isolation has been brutal for so many Kirch allowed, but it's natural to have mixed emotions about another existential twist, another unfamiliar transition from closed down to opened up, from here at home to out there in the world. So how, how do we do it? She asked. Slowly, she advised, with care. 
Not too long ago, a dear friend of mine, a woman I admire who has done a highly demanding job with near total devotion for several years now asked me, am I really supposed to go back to just having dinner with my spouse only on the weekends? Because I don't think I can, honestly. There was such pain in her question, a good and important question, just the sort she usually asks. I balance that query alongside the losses that so many of you have lodged this past year, the graduation ceremonies you did not attend, the final farewells you were not given the chance to say to your loved ones, the milestone celebrations you missed or modified almost beyond total recognition. Yet this week, the Washington Post reported that the 2021 World Happiness Report was released with some startling findings, namely that in the midst of massive global hardship, people everywhere maintained nearly similar levels of happiness to the previous year. The United States, pretty hard hit by the coronavirus and its deaths and cases, dropped just one spot in the worldwide rankings to number 19. The authors of the study speculated that this speaks to human adaptability and resilience. If we cannot trot around the globe, perhaps we can become tourists in our own cities and get better acquainted with its unique people and special places. We can create experiences and make meaning anywhere, seemingly at any time. As Rabbi Kushner writes, where we once thought happiness meant realizing our dream, we come to understand that happiness may mean giving up the dream and exchanging it for one that fits us better. In his book about Moses, he contends, instead of exhausting ourselves trying to reshape the world to fit our dreams, we are better off using our strength to comfort one another in a world that is almost certain to mock our dreams. Nobody gets everything she or he yearns for. I would wish for more people who dreamed boldly and trusted their powers of resilience to see them through the inevitable disappointments. Whatever you learned of your resilience or of the resilience of your family or friendships or faith community or neighborhood or state or country during this long COVID-19 captivity, I implore you not to forget it as we get closer to herd immunity and prepare to resume a lot more of our usual activities. Don't let the deepest impressions that this difficult time has made on you be lost. Don't overlook your own spiritual accomplishments this past year, however minor you might believe them to be. My guess is that most of you found something liberated in you during this past year. Possibly you were free to do something or freed from doing something. Either way, it matters. It is worth your carrying forward in time. In her Passover prayer, my friend and colleague, the Reverend Deborah Hafner, reminds us that we are just now undertaking a journey to our better selves, a journey to a better world, a journey to a more promised land. It will likely be a lengthy journey, 
and we might not even be that far along yet, whatever preliminary timelines we have drafted. A marvelous keynote in the Jewish tradition is what has been called emancipatory spirituality, that powerful energy that pushes people toward greater freedom. What will you do when you are freer than you are today? What will you think, feel, and recall? What will you say to others about this historic chapter when it is finally concluded? The Passover Haggadah contains a couple sets of questions and answers, and each year people take turns reading them aloud. What were the lessons we learned in bondage? What has our freedom taught us since? What people in our world still need liberating today? Let's not waste this moment because it is our time to claim, to redeem together. This spring, I hope you can interrogate your own experiences of confinement with a willingness to receive the hardest one wisdom it might hold. In the Hebrew scriptures, the psalmist exhorts us to break into music and song, praise the eternal, oh, sing, sing a new song. Will you? Understanding that there is not any longer a back then, but instead only an up ahead, what will you give voice to yourself? You'll only know the words to that new song once you've started to sing them, but please do trust that all of those words will be true.